If you have a Bible, we'll be in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17 today. If you didn't bring one, then there should be one in front of you. I encourage you to follow along with me. That's a shame with the, with the children's moment this morning. Sheila, at the, uh, the early service, had, uh, had a disguise you know, with glasses and a big nose and eyebrows. And I really wanted you to see it. It was, it was really good and it was, it was pretty funny. Also, Mary Claire, it's good to see you back there. I see you. Let's pray one more time. Maybe it's a comfort thing for me, but I want to like to pray before, before we dive into uh, to the text. Let's pray. God, would you speak at this time and move me out of the way? God, would you fill me with the discernment to know, God, when to press in and when to relent? I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. Well, today, if it's encouragement, if it's empowerment, if it's conviction we need, God, would you bring it? I pray above all things you're glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, a little participation to start with today. How many of you, uh, that whenever you take a picture, it's, it looks more like a device, it's on a device like this, more than a camera? Anybody, just you can nod, you can raise your hand. Am I the only one, or is it just, okay, there's it's a, a couple of us that take pictures on, on our phone. Most of the pictures we take today, uh, we, we have, if it's on a phone or maybe it's on a digital camera, we can take the picture, and then right after that, you can look and see if it was a good picture. You can look and see if everybody was smiling or if they had their eyes open. And if, and if not, then you can, you can redo it. When I was, when I was growing up, and, and every time I say that, and instantly I feel like I'm bashed with, hey, wait a minute, you're not, you know, you're not old. What do you mean back when you were young? Well, I'm 29, so you're right, I'm not old. But you know, the teenagers, you know, they, they, they certainly think I'm you know, not only old, but I'm no longer cool. You know, so those punk teenagers, you know, they just, yeah, you're old, man. But then, you know, to people older than me, it's no, but you got your whole life ahead of you. Well, as a kid, my mom, we had, we had one camera in the house. We didn't have any cell phones. We, um, I remember when we first got our first uh, portable phone, like that was a big deal. So we didn't have any cell phones. And we, uh, we, we had one camera, and uh, it required this. You know, it just required a little roll of film. It had 24 pictures on it. And some of you can go back, you know, long before that. But, but I was born in the 80s, and so we had, we had a, 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 I'll leave this for, Visual aid for you. We had we had one camera, and, and you could had to put a roll of film in there that had 24, 24 pictures on it. That was it. And then whenever you finished the roll, you put it in a little envelope and take it to the pharmacy, or the grocery store. And, and this is before you had one hour you know, developing, so you could get it you know a week later, a couple of days later. And then your prayer life, from the time you dropped it off to the time you got those pictures back. And your, your faith was tested. You're, you're probably humbling yourself before the Lord if you're anything like us because you just hope the pictures turned out, especially if you met a celebrity or if you got the family together for Christmas or take pictures of the kids in their Halloween uh, costume. You just hope that, that the picture turned out well, that the image turned out well, that it was, that it was all that you had hoped that it would be. And, and today, again, we don't, we don't take the time to, you know, most of us don't develop uh, our pictures, we just take the picture on our, on our phones and then we put them on our computer and put them on a hard drive and we can email them back and forth. We don't, we don't seem to print pictures like we used to and make photo albums. And even if you do that, even if you print pictures, most of us don't, don't print the pictures ourselves. Like we don't have a dark room with a little red light in our house. We don't go through that process. We would just take them, drop them off at a grocery store or pharmacy and then come back an hour later and pick up our, our pictures. However, if you are thinking about getting into film, if you're thinking about developing all of your pictures yourself, um, then today's a good Sunday for you because I'm going to tell you what you need. The materials you need, if you're going to develop one picture, the materials you need 
are a negative to print, 100% cotton cosmetic pad, rubbing alcohol, a light, tight room, running water, a safe light, which is usually a red light, four trays for chemicals, enlarger with a condenser head, paper easel, a timer, a squeegee, which is technically optional, but it's highly recommended, drying rack or a clothesline with clothespins, grain enlarger, emulsion paper, gloves, and an apron. They're optional, but again, they're, they're recommended. And then chemical storage bottles. That's just the materials that you need to gather if you're going to, uh, to develop a picture yourself. The chemicals you need are developer, stop bath, fixer, and hyperclear, or hypoclear. Let's not confuse that with hyperclear, hypoclear. Those are the chemicals you need, and those are the materials you need if you're going to develop a picture yourself. And the whole process can take anywhere from 30 minutes to a couple hours, depending on how good you are at developing a picture, but also prepping the room and gathering the materials. And so the dark room that you need, it has to be just that, completely dark, with a, with a safe light or a soft light, which again is usually a red light because that, that light does not uh, ruin the image. However, if, if you're working on your, your picture and you've got all your chemicals, everything lined up, if somebody opens the door and comes through the door, your image is ruined because that's too mu- the, the light is too bright. There's too much exposure. It's too much of a good thing, and your image is ruined. Right? You have to put towels or a shirt or a sheet underneath at the base of the door because you don't want too much light getting in. Again, it is a very tedious, careful, intentional, important process for a photographer to develop his, his image or her image if they want it to turn out the way they desire for it to. So my question just right out of the gate this morning kind of gets you thinking. And if you don't know, I, I, I love questions. If you read any of the 3Ds that I've done, it's really just 100 questions. That's all I can do is just come up with a question. My question for us this morning is, do you think God is as delicate, as intentional, as careful, as delicate as you know, with developing you as a photographer is with a picture? And surely you have more worth and more value to God than a picture does to a photographer. Now, I have some pictures that are very important to me, of family members that are no longer with me, with, with celebrities that I've met, and people, you know, best friends that I have pictures of, even some of my office, trips I've been on around the world, incredible moments, and I love those pictures. In fact, some of them are in a frame, within a frame, within another frame, right? Inside of a safe that you can't get to. I don't even want to show it to you because I'm afraid you'll steal it from me, right? Like, there are some pictures that I like that I place a lot of value on, but surely I matter more to God than a picture does to a photographer. And surely God is as careful and as intentional in the process of developing me as a photographer is with a picture. And oftentimes, I feel like we, we, you know, Christians, children of God, that we can wrestle with God during our seasons in the dark room, if you will. So when God is developing us and God's working on us, we can be frustrated because we don't want the process to take so long. We want to take the picture. We're so used to taking the picture and seeing it instantly. We're so used to instant results now that when God is working on us, when God's developing us, more and more into the image of His Son, then, then we, we get frustrated with God. Why is this taking so long? I like that you're careful with me. Why is this taking so long? We can rush into things. And some things we rush into, it's not even necessarily bad things that we desire. We can desire to be married. Nothing wrong about desiring to be, you know, to have a spouse. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with, with desiring maybe a better job. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with 
desiring to be successful or more successful in your work. There's nothing wrong with that. But can't we rush into that? Can't we rush into marriage? I see that happen all the time. Can't we feel like this job is better than, or the next job is better than this job, so we rush into that one only to a couple months in, you're like, ah, oh, man, I missed I had a good thing. Don't we do that? Rush into maybe having children, or my marriage is broken, so what, what, what's going to fix it? A baby? That's an impossible expectation on this child now that you're hoping saves your marriage. So we rush into something. And all the while, God may be saying, it's okay that you desire those things. I'm just working on you now for those things. So let's not rush it. But easy, you know, easily our mindsets become, but I don't feel like God's working in my life. I don't feel like God's even doing anything in my life. I don't feel like He's active. I don't feel like He's working in my life. And yet Jesus would say in John 5.17, my Father is always at work. So whether or not we feel like God is working, and first of all, if we can address feelings, man, feelings can be deceiving. As I know we're at church, and this isn't the place for honesty, but if we could be honest, we can look back to our life, and if we can be honest with ourselves, we have felt something was right or something was good that ultimately was not good and was not right. And instead of it resulting and developing us into perfection, it might have been, might have in turn kind of led to our ruin. Because we want something now. We feel like God's not working. God's not helping me with this. So then I'll just forget God. I'll do this one myself. I'll handle this myself. Our feelings can deceive us that God's not at work in our life. And I would absolutely disagree and say not only is He at work, but He's taking His his time. He's careful. He's very intentional. Developing us, desiring that we look more and more like Jesus. And so a couple other questions. Who are you when it's just you and God and you're in the dark room with God? Who are you then? So your friends know you as sweet and fun-loving and caring and hilarious and patient. But when it's just you and God, and you're in a season of God growing you and developing you and working on you, are you still fun-loving with God? Patient with God? Grace-filled towards God? Or are you grace-filled towards others, but easily frustrated and aggravated by God? Who are you when it's just you and God? And how is your faith in this current season of your life? So today, whatever it is you're going through, how's your faith today? Maybe you're similar to Paul where you would say, you know, in this season of my life, I'm similar to Paul that I feel like I'm hard-pressed on every side. I'm not crushed, but I am hard-pressed. And I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. And I'm persecuted, but I don't feel like I'm abandoned. I feel struck down, but I'm not destroyed. So maybe maybe you're in that season. Or maybe you even go a step further than Paul and you would say, no, no, no. I'm hard-pressed on every side, and I'm crushed. I'm perplexed, and I'm in despair persecuted and I feel like I'm abandoned, I'm struck down, and I feel destroyed. I feel like the weight of this season is crushing me. Maybe you're in that season. Or maybe you're like David and you're in a season where you could say, my cup overflows. I have my health, the health of those I love. I'm in a really good season. It's just kind of a dream right now. Things are just easy for me right now and, and my cup overflows. Maybe you're in that season. Season of Great difficulty or season of peace. Regardless, God is using whatever season you find yourself in and the things that you find yourself being surrounded by. God is using those things for a purpose. So then the question becomes, what's the purpose? Like, What is God's overall plan? What's His purpose? Now, some of this will be a sermon for a different time, which I'm sure we'll get to in the future. But short answer is, what's God's purpose? Well, His glory, His namesake. Is, is, is uh, beats in the Scripture rhythmically like a drum. This is for my name's sake, for my glory, I do these things, God says. Okay, so for His name's sake and for His glory, 
these things are happening. You can find yourself in the season that you're in. But also, to conform you more and more into the image of His Son. So I fully believe the, most, the, the, most, the thing that God is most concerned about in your life is not that you make a lot of money, not that you don't have any money. Nothing wrong with, with making money. Nothing wrong with that at all. I don't think God's biggest concern in your life is that you overcome some sin and some temptation. I think He's certainly concerned about it, but His number one concern, do I think that's it? Absolutely not. Because otherwise, why wouldn't God have taken away already the things that I've wrestled with my whole life? So I believe the number one thing God is concerned about in my life and your life is that we more and more bear the image of His Son. That'll take care of our little habits and sins if we look more and more like Jesus. But God's number one concern in our lives is that you look more like Jesus, you talk more like Jesus. I'm not talking about the hair and the beard. I think I'm winning that race in here, but it's not. But not the physical. So I'm just talking about how we live, how we act, how we treat other people. Look more like Jesus. Sound more like Jesus. So God is at work constantly conforming us more and more to the image of His Son. We'll go to Mark. And before we read this, uh, this passage, I was thinking about this in, in, when I was a senior in high school. And then I thought, well, maybe it's blasphemy to, to, to read a scripture. And then, and then a lesson that I take from scripture isn't even, isn't even what was said or what was written. I started wondering, like, is this blasphemy for me to get something out of the scripture that I'm not, even sure, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to get this out of the text. And then I heard Ravi Zachariah, who I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, he's, he's a Christian theologian, author, but he's just, uh, he's a modern day C.S. Lewis. It's just a gift how incredibly intelligent he is. And, uh, and he was saying something very similar on the same lines that, I, that was something I was thinking back in high school. So then I felt like it was okay. If Robbie can say it and get away with it, then maybe I can too. So that, that's the message today. So we'll go to Mark 12, 13 through 17. It's a very familiar passage. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now I'm going to stop there. The they in that passage, uh, in verse 13, later they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus the they is referring to the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. And we notice that uh, found in chapter 11, verse 27. Okay, so the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they send the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Verse 14, they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Okay, let's stop here now. Is this true? Well, it's in the Bible, so it must be true, right? That's kind of our first explanation. But is this true what they're saying? You know, you're not swayed by men. We can take that as true. But what about the next part? That, you know, you don't pay attention. We, we, you're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. What's being said here? Because surely Jesus, we know, when he was talking to a rich man, he knew they were rich. When he talks to a poor person, he knew they were poor. When he talked to a Roman soldier, he knew they were a soldier. When he talked to a person possessed by a demon, he knew they were possessed by a demon. If somebody had leprosy, he knew that. So Jesus was paying attention. If he was talking to a, a man, he knew they were male. If he was talking to a woman, he knew they were female. He knew if he was talking to a child. He knew if he was talking to an adult. He knew if he was talking to a racial minority. He knew exactly who he was talking to, whether you were a, a woman caught in adultery, uh, a, a lying tax collector. He knew exactly who he was talking to 100% of the time. So what are they saying here then? What, what they're saying is, we know that you pay no attention to the approval of other people. You don't need a pat on the back. You're a man of integrity, and you don't need other people's approval of you, and you don't care about the other people's opinions of you. 
And so then my question becomes, how, how freely could you and I live if the same could be said of us? Because you're, you're a person of integrity. And you're not swayed by the approval of others. And so if somebody comes to you and they can offer you wealth, or they have authority and they can give you that authority, or you can gain something from knowing that person, like what if we didn't fall for that? What if, what if we didn't fall for some, for some bribe of, well, I better get to know this person because they can help me out more in the future than this person over here. So if I'm going to maintain a friendship, I better go with a person that can offer me more. I mean, we certainly don't see Jesus acting that way and living that way. And so when they say, you know, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, you're not swayed by, by men because you don't care about their opinion of you. You don't care about their approval of you. So then they try to trap them with this question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought a coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Now me personally, I kind of hate that this conversation ends right here. Now, not the whole story, because just this conversation. There's no further questions at that point. In fact, they start talking about marriage at the resurrection. So they continue to have dialogue with Jesus, just not about taxes. And I wish Jesus would have answered the question about paying taxes. Every April, I, would, I wish Jesus would have said, no, you don't have to pay taxes. Like, I wish that would have been his response. But that's not what he said. He says, bring me a coin. Whose image is on here? Whose portrait is on here? If the coin belongs to, to Caesar because of an image is on here, then let me ask you, whose image is on you? Right, so, me being just naturally inquisitive, I wish somebody would have spoken up after Jesus said, give to, God what is, or give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. I wish somebody would have spoken up and said, but what belongs to God? And our Sunday school church answer would be, everything belongs to God. Like, not only a thousand hills, but a thousand cattle on the thousand hills. All of it belongs to God. Everything you see, everything that exists was made by God and therefore belongs to God. But if you're familiar with how Jesus has these conversations in the Gospels, I don't think he would have answered the question that way. So yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God, and what belongs to God. My, I believe Jesus absolutely could have spoken up with, whose image is on you? Whose image do you bear? Again, if the coin belongs to Caesar because his portrait is on it, his image is on it, then who do you belong to because whose image are you made in? And we read it earlier in the words of grace from Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that man was made in the image of God. In the image of God who created them both male and female. One for the other. So whose image do you bear? It's a pretty sobering question. And after we answer it, there's implications for us. It seems today that, that Christians, Christians today, we want to resemble Jesus. Like a lot of us, we do. Like we have this... In the pit of our stomach, we want to resemble Jesus. We want to look like Him, talk like Him. We want to know Him more, and yet we still resemble the world. So we want to look like Jesus, and we're aware that we bear the image of God, and yet we can find ourselves drifting away from that and into, the, into resembling more of the world. And we're selfish, and Jesus taught to deny yourself. And again, we want to resemble Jesus while still looking like the world. This example of, of a photographer taking his time and being willing to put in the effort and the work uh, to develop a picture, I would share that with my soccer teams 
Um, and I love coaching soccer. And we had a big football uh, weekend th- this weekend. And Manchester United played and Chelsea and Liverpool, Arsenal. And then there were some good football games with Barclays Premier League. I couldn't get away from the TV. And so I love, I love soccer. Okay, I love sports. And even when I'm able to do uh, devotions with, with, with athletes in different schools, this is, this is something I like to say a lot about the photographer. This example I use often is the photographer developing a picture because I try to challenge them with be willing to put in the effort and the work to achieve that which you desire. Be willing to put in the work. And some of us, we have the desire to be fill in the blank. Good husbands, good fathers, good wives, good mothers, successful in our work, successful student, a good athlete, desire to be in shape, desire to be a better musician, desire to be whatever, fill in the blank. Oftentimes, we're just not willing to, to put in the work, not willing to put in the effort. We have the desire to be more godly, to have a deeper understanding of, of who God is, and yet we don't read the Scriptures, we don't attend small group, there's no discipleship taking place in our lives, and we know no more of God today than we did five 10, 20 years ago. We're wrestling with the same mindset, sins, and habits that we've had since our youth, or rather, that has had us since we were youth. We're often not willing to put in the effort, put in the work. You know, a couple weeks ago I was at seminary, and and I'm I'm not doing the MDiv. I'm going to intercultural studies and church planning degree. So we focus, I guess if you were in business school, you would focus on different business models. We study different church plants and why churches are thriving, why churches are being shut down, and what churches are doing that's different, and what churches that are doing that are traditional that we've been doing for hundreds of years. It's really interesting, and then I heard this statistic, that a, a, a member of a church can attend a church two times a month, two times a month, and consider that full-time membership to a church. When I was growing up, it was 12 times a month minimum because we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. If you didn't have a Sunday night service, it would have been eight times a month minimum. That's not including um, volunteer stuff. It's not including if a church does a consignment sale or VBS. It didn't include anything extra. Just the bare minimum was Wednesday night services, Sunday morning services, and we were churches. Uh, most, most of the time I was at church that had Sunday night, so 12 times a month. And so uh, to me, the, the fact that person can come to church two times a month and consider that full-time membership. That's just so, that blows my mind because I'm just not used to that. I'm not used to that. Now, you can decide whether you think that's right or wrong, fair, unfair. I'm not debating that, but that's just different to me. And so if we desire to know more of God and yet we don't read the Bible, we have zero community, there's no discipleship taking place in our lives, how are we going to achieve that? How are you going to achieve that? So can we be, are we willing to put in the work, to grow in our faith, disciple others, be mentored, have accountability? Or do we just say, one day I'll be, I'll be a better version of me one day. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but one day I'll be fine. One day I'll wrestle with what I wrestle with today. Again, not sure how I'm going to get there, but just in the future, I'll be more holy than I am now. Do we realize that right now we bear the image of God on us right now? And perhaps God is right now trying to conform us more and more into the image of His Son, developing us constantly into the image of His Son. So my encouragement is be willing and challenge is be willing to put in the work, put in the effort. And I'll conclude with 
where we started today. Does the fact that you bear the image of God mean anything at all to you? And I'll ask it in an open-ended question. What does it mean to you that you bear the image of God? What does it mean to you that everybody you've ever seen bears the image of God? So God is the creator of, of all life. And I love my dog, but my dog was not created in the image of God. So we can debate animal life versus human life, although I think the Bible is pretty clear that only human beings were made in the image of God. So I love my dog, but he's my dog. And I really love my dog. I want him to sleep in the bed. Madeline won't let me. But I love my dog, but he wasn't created in the image of God. Created by God? Absolutely. Does God love his creation? Absolutely. Created in the image of God? Certainly not. So what does it mean to you that you were created in the image of God? And if we were mindful, and if you were mindful that you bore the image of God, it was on you, it was in you, how might you live, speak, and treat others? Is it any differently than, than how you currently live, treat, or speak to others? The final question is, how will you live today? Let's not get focused on tomorrow and next week. And How will we live today for the one whose image we bear? Let's pray. God, thank you for your concern for God, for all your creation. And, and, and God, thank you for your concern for human beings. God, we were created to know you and to make you known, created for relationship, created to worship you. God, created to be known by you. God, help us to put in the work and the effort to be known by you. Help us to not lose heart during whether it's a difficult season or a season of blessings, Lord, help us to not lose heart when we're in the dark room and you're working on us and you're developing us. Help us to not lose patience. Help us to show you grace. Lord, help us to show ourselves grace. God, would you continue to do a work in our lives and continue to do a work in this church. God, thank you for being involved in our lives. God, thank you for the truth, even if we feel like you're not involved in our life. You yourself have said that you're always at work. Help us to rest in that today. I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.